Yeah, the news of the day, and it's terrible news for those of us here in Indianapolis, is that Jimmy Ursay was found blue and unresponsive back in December and is lucky to be alive, very lucky to be alive. Jimmy Ursay has been a recovering addict for as long as I can remember. Others may know better. But uh, Jimmy Ursay is lucky today to be alive, apparently from an overdose slash poisoning. We'll get into that. Indiana basketball. You just stink. You just stink. You don't try. Your coach, guy had a great comment. He said, hey, Dan, is Indiana's offense, hey, run down here on offense and someone shoot. Don't have me starts right now. What the hell? Look, I I hate this for Jimmy Ursay. I I absolutely hate that Jim Ursay, the owner of the Colts, is a national punchline. He is. I mean, he was before this. He is now. The report came out from TMZ, of all places, that Jim Ursay, back in December, was found unresponsive, was found basically dead. They had to use Narcan to get him back and going. He was in the bathtub. It is called, I want to make sure I get this right, an overdose and overdose slash poisoning per the report. Now, you know, I get it. People want to be jackasses. I get it. People want to say, well, he's an addict, man. You got to learn to stop, blah, 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 blah. That's all. You, that's good for you. That's good. It's just not that easy. I mean, I've told the story before on this show. Uh, my first wife and I brought a former player of mine back into our house after he had transferred to live with us, tried to get him as much help as we could. He was addicted. Oxy got him. He was a kid from West Virginia. And I, I think he's fine now. Like, I, I lost track of him. This is 20-some years ago, but I think he's fine. But I saw firsthand the power of addiction. I've seen it many times in my life, and it is awful. So I'm not going to go there. But here is the report. Police were called to Ursay's home. Now, Ursay has this sprawling estate on, I think it's 116th or 126th, 146, one of those roads. And you can see it. It's walled off from the side. They found him unresponsive. On his bathroom floor, his skin had turned blue. He was in his bed by the time police arrived. He was having breathing issues, a weak pulse, a constricted pupils. They attempted to awaken her. This is how serious this is. With a sternum rub, he responded slightly after a dose of Narcan, which can be used to help individuals who have overdosed on opiates, opioids, and it has always been opiates that's got him. Now look, I also understand that I'm not 100% believing any of this. I'm just going by what the police report said. I don't know. But I know I'm praying for the man. I, I do. They arrived, paramedics did, to handle life-saving before Ursay was transported to the hospital. Um, they didn't know what he had ingested at the time. It happened one month before, on January 9th, the Colts announced that Jimmy was being treated for severe respiratory issues. Now, you know, this is what sucks about having an awful local media. This is what sucks about having the Indy Star hiring children. You know, nobody in Indianapolis knows what to believe because Indianapolis can't report on anything. We got these insiders that aren't inside anything. So TMZ reports it. They get the police report. And I guess, I guess that we're all supposed to go with that. But we don't have anybody, anybody local that knows nothing. So let's just go with what the police report says. 
Ursay um, had not been seen in public for a while. He's very public. Like, he is the guy that goes into the locker room. He's the guy that gets in the golf cart. He is the guy that will stop and do those questions in his car as he's driving out of a stadium. He's that guy. He's that guy. So my prayers are with Jimmy Ursay. My prayers are with Jimmy Ursay. And look, the only thing anybody can do is continue to try to help him. And I hope he gets help. You know, he was arrested a few years ago. People lost their mind. People, ah, he had $20,000 in his car. Let me tell you something. Jimmy Ursay, and I know this to be fact, will drive around, see homeless folk, give him 1000 bucks. We'll pay hospital bills at Riley's Children's Hospital here in Indianapolis. $20,000, as he said, is not a lot to have. He is the most giving dude ever. But he's got a demon. And I'm not here to tell you anything other than the facts of this because I really like Jim Ursay. But I will also tell you that on my 60th birthday, August 17th, 2002, I was doing a game at the Colts, uh, doing a show from the Colts Complex. He came up to me and he gave me a team ball. It might be here somewhere. I don't know. But he gives me a team ball. Happy birthday. And I said, Jimmy, I thought you'd want to punch me the way I come after you guys. And he was awesome. Because we're adult men. We're adult men with penises. But I also came out of that going, wow. I knew he was only so, a little bit older than me. But he seemed 30, 50, 100 years older than me. And I remember even telling my kids, man, just understand this. Understand that addictions kills you in a lot of ways. And I'm never, I never stopped trying to pound a message of addiction at my children. Never. I never stop. Look, and I actually, because I know I don't look very good, I actually showed him a picture of me and him, and I go, look, I've never had addiction. Yeah, I have beers. Never done coke. Never done weed. Never, never, never. I don't, I'm scared to death of those things. But addiction will kill you externally. It'll kill you internally, and we all know this. And it is awful, awful trying to get out from under it. So my thoughts, my prayers are with Jimmy Ursay. Um, he has been, he said, to rehab, listen to this, at least 15 times is what he told Andrea Kramer. And he overdosed while attempting to detox. Now think about this. This is, where, this is what happens with people of addiction. He was trying to detox, and he overdosed while he was, quote, trying to detox by mixing too many drugs. I told a friend of mine a hundred years ago, when I didn't really know this guy, but I went over his house. I went over his house one day. We weren't really friends. We got to know each other a little bit in high school, and he lived on the beach, Ogden Dunes in northwest Indiana. I went over his house. And I walk in, and he's got like weed and scales and, and stuff. Like, you know, he's a dealer. I didn't know this. I learned it that day. And I remember saying, damn, Mark. If you put all your time and energy into like school, he was like six foot seven or basketball or something, you wouldn't have to sell this crap. His dad was rich. It's like weed guy, drug guy, it's incredible guy. They figure out concoctions, they're the biggest math man, they're figuring all this stuff out. Man, I just wish people could understand that. But when you're under the throes of addiction, it's impossible. I've seen it. In my own house, I've seen it with players. I've seen it with 
coworkers. I've seen it a lot of different places. And my thoughts and my prayers are 1,000% with Jimmy Ursay. And if you got something bad to say about Jimmy Ursay, particularly today, on this day, uh, I got to tell you, you're out of your mind. No, you seriously, you're out of your mind. This, this ain't today. Dude's probably still, actually, the dude fights for his life every day. Fights for his life every day. We don't need no crap. My prayers, my thoughts are for Jimmy Ursay. I did not know we were going to lead with this. But then here's the deal. Let me go the other way. Freaking media around here. You guys actually pay money and these guys sell it to you that, well, you know, we're insiders. Yeah, what the hell are you inside of? We're insiders. Uh, you, you didn't know that the owner had an o- over, overdose? You, you didn't know? You didn't know. What are you inside of? I didn't show you this yesterday because I wanted to see what was going to happen today. But the other day, Mike Tomlin, after a loss, season is over. Hey, let's get it out of the way. Tomlin's a great guy. Tomlin, uh, what's the right word? Never had a losing season. Never had a losing season. And that means something. He's 8-10 and 10 in his lifetime. Got older pros like Jack Lambert and others are coming at him. They, they're like, hey, wait a second. This isn't the way the Steelers should be. You haven't won any playoff games in three or four years. So he goes to the press conference, season's over, and some woman named Pryor decides because, well, this is what idiots do. She decides that she's going to ask a question about Tomlin's future. Now, look, I've stood in press conferences, uh, sat in press conferences, looked out and thought, man, what a mangy bunch of dumbasses. I mean, honest to God, I got to explain myself to them, but okay, fine. It comes with the job. The part of the job is explaining the game after the game. But part of the job isn't to after the game discuss your contract. Part of the job is not to tell something that, well, doesn't need to be told or answer something that doesn't need to be answered. So here's the exchange with Mike Tomlin. Anyone? Mike, you have a year left on your contract. I love it. I love it. And of course, of course, she's the little victim because that's what you do. You become the little victim. Mike, you have a year left on your con. Shoop, I'm gone. He is under no obligation. He's under no obligation to sit there and be a punching bag or to take their questions. Incredibly rude question. Incredibly dumb question. And actually, what's that old saying? You get what you deserve most times in life. The question got the exact answer that it deserves. So let's fast forward. What happened? Speculation. Tomlin didn't want to answer. Doesn't look good. He may want to leave. He's going to leave. Yeah, well, Tomlin handled this perfectly. How? Report came out yesterday evening that Mike Tomlin is going to do what? Mike Tomlin is going to stay. At least that's what he told the people closest to him. The people whose livelihoods are affected by his decision. You're the head coach. You have a responsibility. You know, the head coach is is like a pyramid. You're at the top of the pyramid. You're up here. And then all these people are below you. Right? Well, guess what? As a head coach, you feel kind of responsible for all their jobs. You feel kind of responsible for their families. You know, you want to make sure you can get the most money out of your athletic director or your owner. You want to make sure that if you can get another year on a contract for a guy, you do. You want to make sure of all those things. That's a big deal. Those are the people you owe answers to. 
not some ESPN woman who is trying to get something out of Tomlin that, frankly, she has no business to get out of Tomlin. No business whatsoever. None. Zero zip. So Tomlin did this absolutely right. And I know people are going to say, well, you know, it's public team. You want the team? No, 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 no. See, here's what you got to understand. And this is, I'm going to get into Indiana basketball off of this in a minute, but this is what you got to understand. There are certain ways in certain cities with certain programs that toughness and keeping it here is paramount. Being different is paramount. You all know the story. Chuck Knoll, Bill Cower, Mike Tomlin, three coaches since like 1905. You know the deal. Because they're different. Because they don't pander. They're not out here like every other operation trying to cater to get clicks from the media or get clicks from fans. They're not about that. They're about being serious sports people doing a serious job, period. That's what has sustained organizations like the Ravens, the Patriots for the most part, the Steelers. The list is very small. The list is very, very small. And there are those of us here in Indianapolis that will tell you that Indianapolis thought because they had won with Polian, they had won with Manning, they had won with Grigson, they had won with Luck, they felt like here in Indy that they could win with anybody. Polian, Grigson, too demanding. Too demanding. We don't need that. We need kinder, gentler, relationshipal. How's that worked out? Nah, it hadn't worked out great. Nah, nah, it hadn't worked out very, very well. Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit has it worked out. Because you don't F with winning. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Right in the eyeballs. You don't F with winning. You just don't. Now, whether they've actually won is up for debate. I get the narrative, we've never had a losing season. But when you've been there year after year and you haven't won a playoff game in three or four years, your overall record is 8 and 10 in the playoffs, and you kind of get whooped every year. You go 10 and 8 or 10 and 7 or whatever the hell it is, and then you get beat in the playoffs. Is that real winning? I don't know. I don't really know. Doesn't seem like it. I mean, you can make the argument both ways, right? You can make the argument, well, it's not losing. Well, it is in the playoffs. See, most franchises, and I want you to understand this, would love to be in the position in NFL football that the Steelers are in, where we're questioning whether you're winning based not on the regular season, but year after year after year of being in the playoffs. See, <clears throat> Colts can't get in the playoffs. Colts thought it was easy to get in the playoffs. Ah, we're in the playoffs every year. It'll be easy. No, no, no. No. It's not like that. Purdue basketball. Purdue basketball, a lot of people, of course, after last night here in the great state of Indiana when Purdue went into the hallowed assembly hall and beat Indiana, beat them like a drum. A lot of people are saying what? Ah, it don't matter. It doesn't matter. Why would it matter? Purdue always wins in the regular season. They never win in the postseason. Purdue loses to St. Peter's. Purdue loses to North Texas. Purdue loses to the 16th seed Fairleigh Dickinson. What are you talking about? This is no big deal. 
There's nothing going on here. Wouldn't people love it? My guy, Aaron Spielberg. I mean, look, he's of the Spielberg family. He's of the, you know, what's that, what's that announce or a director's name? Best of director ever. He's got that kind of money, people. But all he wants is what? He wants his Washington commanders to get in the damn playoffs. <laughs> hey, look, I live in a mansion on a lake. What, or maybe not. But hey, let me go with this here. And all I want is to be able to sit my ass down, which I, all I've been doing lately is driving me crazy after the surgery. Look, I just, Steven Spielberg, thank you. <laughs> all I want to be able to do is sit my dupayash down and watch the Colts in a playoff game. That's it. That's not asking much. But there, is only, there are only a few teams, only a few, and it goes away quick. Patriots, yeah, they'll be ready. Ah, you know what? Yeah, they've lost a couple on the road, but you know Belichick will have them ready when it comes time for the playoffs. Well, now they're not in the playoffs. Michigan State basketball. There's January, there's February, there's Izzo. That would be March. Very few organizations that good over time. So good for Mike Tomlin keeping it that way. You don't ever want to be like every other freaking uh, program or other team. You don't. You don't. You just don't. Now, speaking of being like every other team, you little kids, um, do, you, do you know that there was a time that Indiana basketball was really good? Did you know this? Did you know there was a time where Indiana basketball, the Hoosiers, the hurrying Hoosiers, the fighting Hoosiers, the candy-striped Hoosiers, I, call it whatever you want, I really don't even care, were considered the toughest team in college basketball. Did you understand that coming into Assembly Hall, it was nearly impossible to beat Indiana? Bob Knight had the referees in pocket. We did. Hall of Calls. True. It's true. Bob Knight had that. You had great players being developed. You know, Bob Knight won three national championships and only had one NBA All-Star. It's a pretty interesting little stat there. But the fact of the matter is, guys became great college players. All right. So I've said this forever. Indiana used to stand for something. We stood for, hey, we may not, we not win every game. Last undefeated team, 76. Guess who it was? Indiana. Year before that, 32-1. and one. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Indiana. Used to stand, used to be different. And now Indiana's just crap. See, Mike Tomlin's approach was just different. And people are showing other coaches in other spots being so nice to the media. They're so nice. He's such a good guy. Did you see how Sirianni handled that media? Yeah, well, you know what? Sirianni needs the job. Tomlin apparently doesn't. But anyway, back to Indiana. So Indiana last night decides, hey, look. I don't know. We're going to play Purdue at home. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Mute. I always watch games on mute. I don't need an announcer to tell me anything. But I'm watching the game. Indiana is, like, just playing. Purdue's competing like crazy. 
And there's nothing about Indiana that tells you anything other than this is just another college basketball team. Now you look at Purdue late in the game. Late in the game, seven foot a thousand, Zach Eadie's diving for a loose ball up 25 or up 20, whatever it is. And Indiana's highly, 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 immensely overrated, soft-ass center where is reaching for it. Now, this is a guy, Ware, who is projected to go in the first round of the NBA draft. Last time I looked at a mock draft. I have not looked in about a month. So if I'm wrong right now, then I'm wrong. But he was a guy that was the guy. First round pick, they said. Down by 20. Indiana got its ass kicked. Indiana got beat so bad that the player, one of the players... Fletcher Lawyer, after the game, was asked about the crowd, and he said, hey, crowd here is always great. It's great. Loud, crazy. But then with four minutes to go, it got really quiet with everyone leaving. I don't know what to tell you, man. I, I, it just kind of makes guys like me sad. Now, here's me. Oh, quit being the old guy who lived in glory days. That's not what I do. I, I will not go to an IU game this year, not because I'm protesting or anything, just life has come up. I am not ever going to be the guy that shows up on campus as the old guy. I remember seeing all the old guys when I was there. I'm like, that's ah, pretty cool. You come in once in a while, but then guys would always be there. That ain't me. I got a life to live just because I went to somewhere in college for 40 years. So you see the kid on the left there, Galloway? He's all pretty. Oh, uh, he's all pretty. He dances. He does. He does all the dance stuff. He's a TikTok guy. Yeah, he's really pretty. And, and the girls all swoon. True story. I mean, he's like, you know, matinee model playing basketball. He's a pretty good player, but that's what Indiana is. Indiana's a bunch of disjointed freaking people coached by a moron. What do, they, what do we call it privately? Woody brain. If you get Woody brain, that's Mike Woodson's brain. Now, I'm sure somehow that's racist because when you lose by 30 as a coach at Indiana, you're not allowed to say anything bad. You can just look at this right here. The guy here, Galloway, you can just see. What's he looking at? Not the number one guy. The guy, the cute, the pretty guy. What's he looking at? Why is his head down? His head should be up. He should be in a stance. But anyway, I got Woody brain. So here's, the, here's the also. So the coach the other day in his radio show said, I love Indiana basketball. I love its fans. And I hope they love me. Huh? Eh. There's Indiana right there. Look at that big Zach Eady. He's on the ground. I think you can get a couple more tats on the guy. Where? I think that'd be good. I think that'd be fun. I think you can do that. I mean, that's what Indiana's about, man. Indiana's about looking good, baby. They ain't about diving on the floor. They ain't about getting after it defensively. They ain't about showing up to play. And the idiot that coaches them for some reason. Look, I, 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 I was the first guy to say we needed an Indiana guy as the head coach. And Mike Woodson wasn't really an Indiana guy, but I let it go. Mike Woodson hadn't been around Indiana in 30 years. Mike Woodson owns him, Quinn Buckner, Scott May, a bunch of guys, through a guy named Steve Ferguson, owns about three-quarters of Bloomington, including the parking lot where the kid, Magabo, got arrested earlier this year. Woodson owned a lot. Owns the lot. But anyway... I didn't realize we were hiring a guy that can't coach a lick. I didn't realize we were hiring a guy 
that after the game, bring everybody in, get the wine, smoke cigars, it's all good. I didn't realize we were hiring a retirement position guy. And that's what we did. There he is, Mr. Retirement. Good for you. I mean, son of a bitch. I mean, you hire a guy and you think he's from the NBA and he's going to have all this actions and his cutting and this movement and blah, 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 blah. So I asked last night, I asked last night, because people think it's only me. People think it's only me that uh, says bad things about Indiana. Okay, all right, okay. Here's the deal. I got to get them over the hump. That's what Woodson always says. So I asked a couple guys. I said, hey, fellas, what's this magical hump Woodson speaks of? The answer from one of them comes back. That would be a question for Woody Brain. The hump is used when one is incapable of thinking critically. I cannot believe that Woody Brain is the head men's basketball coach at Indiana University or, or any capitalized program. The dork coming from Monteverde is coming for one reason and one reason only, cash. You got this kid, Liam something, who is described as by one of the former Indiana players as the dork from Monte Verde. <laughs> he goes, he's coming for one reason and one reason only, and I can't blame him. There you go. Indiana University. See this kid, Cups? I like Cups. Cups had a big game against Florida Gulf Coast. I said, hey, man, Cups might be a really good mid-major player. Doggett, you suck. You're the worst. Yes, I suck. I'm the worst. I've not been wrong about Indiana basketball maybe my entire lifetime. But let's move on. Yeah, and then I got Indiana's women's team all mad at me because I'm like, don't put yourself in a men's position. You're a nice little story. It's a nice little story. You're doing great. But they bitched, whined, and moaned, the whole program did, about being in ads for the Iowa-Indiana women's game. And all they showed was Caitlin Clark. And I'm like, well, who do you think they're going to show? Caitlin Clark is the star. So what happens? Indiana, after those ads run, plays Iowa. Iowa wins by 27. You know what you hear? Well, the ladies played really hard. The ladies really, really played hard, and Caitlin was just too much. You know what you hear after Indiana loses a game in basketball? This sucks. She's the worst. Former players hate him. Blah, 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 blah. Don't even try to tell me. Don't even think about trying to tell me that anybody gives, really gives a rat's ass about Indiana women as compared to the men. Just don't even think about doing that with me. Let Doyle and the clickbait guys, let them all do that. Some little girl named, uh, I forget her name, I don't know. She said nobody cares and sent out all these little pictures of a lot of people being at games. Here's how you tell people care. When you get your ass beat, what's the reaction? What's the reaction? The reaction when Indiana women get their ass beat is, all oh, the ladies, they trade so hard. They're so much fun. They signed autograph after. Dudes lose, and it's DEFCON 1. And off we go. Hey, by the way, did you see this? Gonzaga, did you see this? Gonzaga dropped out of the top 25 for the first time in seven years. They've been in the NCAA tournament for 24 straight years. They lost to Santa Clara. Great coach at Santa Clara. Almost went to work for him, Her, uh, Herbie Sendek. 
A horrible AD at Santa Clara. My wife did work for her. Horrible. Awful. The worst. But anyway, I digress. So that's the deal there. So Gonzaga may be out. Look, I have not followed and I do not follow the whole bracketology until it gets closer. But I do follow. I do know this. You better get some good wins. I mean, and if you're right here and you're Gonzaga, you don't have a whole lot of them in the West Coast Conference. You just don't. So we'll see what happens. But I'm not betting against Gonzaga. No, neither should you. Uh, A lot of people pointing fingers. A lot of old heads out there pointing fingers. And they're really kind of, couple are stupid, couple are funny. Chad Ochocinco is pointing the finger. He's not pointing the finger at McCarthy. He's not pointing the finger at Dak Prescott. You know what he's saying? He says Jerry Jones is the mother effing problem and the Cowboys Hall of Famer Mike Irvin has seen enough of his former team, he goes off by saying he's had time to realize and how pathetic they are. Let's hear from Michael Irvin. Watch every damn where, all across this country, all across the league, they stood up to defend their city and defend their team, except in the city that deserved it the most. Except the team that's most recognizable and deserve it the most. What do you do when all you have don't understand what they have? When I got here, I understood the men before me. They built the Dallas Cowboys. They made this America's team. They put a championship on the table before I got here. My job while I was here is to match what they have done to this. They built it. They handed it to me. Put my damn championship on the table. That's all we ask. Put your damn championship on the table and you couldn't do it. All the ass has got to go. That dude can barely speak. (laughs) Oh, we got to have that ready to go again later on in this show. Good for Michael Irvin. See, like little clickbait writers and little me, they can all they can all get mad at former players, but former players put a lot into that. I mean, I don't know what to tell you, man, but I still got a bad neck from playing. I had hip replacement surgery from a shot that I took playing. I mean, some of us actually put something on the line so we care a little bit. I get ripped in Indiana by all the biggins and all the little people around here because I care too much as a former player that I'm not just going to sit there and go, oh, isn't this great? We quit in an NCAA tournament again? Do we have the Ocho Cinco stuff? Guess who the mother effing problem is and why they keep losing every single year? 28 years. Guess who the common denominator is? All the pieces to the puzzle every year the Dallas Cowboys play good. God dang football and get sent the f- home in the first round. Guess who the problem is? Jerry Jones is the reason why they can't get past the first round. That's the problem. Yeah, I get it. I understand. You're trying, Ocho. You were. You had your 15 minutes of fame. It's hard to let it go. Looks like you're making a little comeback. I do. I get it. I understand. I do. I don't know, man. I Look, Jerry Jones puts a team good enough to win a bunch of games in the regular season. It's not like you fly in teams from the Premier League overseas, put them in, and away we go with another league. 
It's the same teams that you play in the regular season, and now you can't beat them because of Jerry Jones? Like, I'm not saying he's absolutely wrong. I know, but it's too easy. It's too easy to sit there and say, hold on a second. This is about the players. This is about scheme. It's just easy to say Jerry Jones. He's not a football guy. Not a football guy. Football. Sausage. I mean, let's be real here. Jerry Jones may be the problem, but he's put rosters together good enough that every year all these slaps on NFL Network or ESPN or Fox or CBS or Amazon Prime or wherever, any, and, I, and well, they're really talented. All I ever hear is how talented they are. That's it. That's all I ever hear. But they can't beat the same teams that they beat earlier in the year in the playoffs? I don't know. I mean, look, he's right. He's the common thread. Coaching, you're going to hear this a lot. You're going to hear this a ton. So you got Ocho Cinco. He's he's blaming Jerry Jones. Michael Irvin scorched earth. He's going nuts. All right. Lewis Riddick, who got passed over by my guy, Ryan Grigson, while he was with the Eagles, and he's still bitter with the Eagles, and Lewis Riddick is trying so hard, so hard to put himself back into the NFL. I mean, he's lobbying TV stations, radio stations, to try to get the word out when a job opening comes. He's trying so hard. But Lewis Riddick is saying what I almost think every fan base is saying. Fire our current coach because Belichick's out there. Let me give it to you. You only have one opportunity to hire the greatest of all time, and this is it, period. There is no three years from now. There is, no, uh-uh. If Belichick is up for being, if, is not coaching three years from now, then he's either won and ridden off to the sunset, lost, and been pushed out into the sunset. You know, Lombardi got fired, <laughs> Aaron, with the Washington Redskins. They were the Redskins at the time, so don't go crazy on me. But he got fired there. So look, let's be honest. Uh, Every organization is going to say this. So Lewis Riddick blames Nick Sirianni for the Philadelphia Eagles collapse. And he wants the organization to consider Bill Belichick. Belichick completed his first interview with the Atlanta Falcons, the team announced late Sunday night. All right. You imagine... You imagine, like, three years ago, Bill Belichick thought that he was going to have to get his bags together. Give me all my bags. Give me my pens. Where's my resume? Honey, honey, where's my note card? Uh, Can you imagine I'm going to interview Bill Belichick for my head football coaching job? The first question I would ask him is this. What happened without Brady? I want to know the answer. You know, like, people ask me what happened to my coaching career after the first five years of Bowling Green. I'll tell them point blank, injury. Everybody got injured. Some guys got injured my first five years, but not the wrong guys. Well, once, once, twice, but that's all right. I mean, I want to know. I want to know in his mind what the problem is without Tom Brady. Because you don't have Tom Brady wherever you're going. Desmond Ritter ain't Tom Brady. Last I looked, not saying he isn't, but you know what? Hell, even uh, what's-his-face? Justin Herbert ain't Tom Brady. Justin Herbert's a nice player. Justin Herbert's all right. 
Lombardi may have died. You may be right, Aaron. You might be right. In fact, as I was saying that, I was thinking that maybe he did get fired. But anyway, so I want to know what the hell in his mind was the difference. And if you don't have the stones to ask it, then you don't have the stones to manage Bill Belichick and be his boss. I mean, you just simply don't. No. No, you really don't. Oh, man, we got a great one for you today. Did you ever hear of the Centennial Conference? The Centennial Conference has launched a comprehensive three-year plan dedicated to diversity, equity, and inclusion, laying out the plan to 11 Division III schools. The lady who wrote the article, our friend Amber Harding, she is going to join us. Look, here's the deal. I want to go back and I want to play Division III cornerback. There's not enough white guys playing cornerback. I think my wife, the lovely Lee Ross Dockage, LLRD as we call her, should be given first crack at slot receiver at Division III. There are no women. Are there any white women slot receivers in Division III? I don't think so. I don't either. No, we're going to talk about this with Amber Hardy. Thank you. I got, I got tiles. I'm giving you everything I got, people. I'm <laughs> All right, let's have a chat about this. Where are you guys at with diversity, equity, and inclusion? Where are you? Seriously, I want to know. Where are you guys at? Ah, you know, eh, I don't know. Listen to this. Next game, Caitlin Clark plays. Tickets are going for $1,700. Charles Barkley not happy. Not, not happy at all with Chicago Bulls fans. But I want to get into a little... Diversity, equity, and inclusion. We'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. All right. Before I get to the DEI portion of the program, I got to tell you, I think you commented on this. Somebody asked Todd Bowles about playing in the elements in Detroit. Did you see that question? Like, and Bowles, the coach of uh, Tampa Bay, I think it was a one, let the woman go and say, and say, and he's like, well, they play in a dome, leave me alone. Like, that's not very good report. That's not very good. That, you shouldn't do that as a, as a reporter, should you? Or am I missing something here? No, what what killed me about that is that she actually took the time to look up the weather forecast for Detroit, yes. but she forgot to look up the fact that they play in a dome. So, I mean, ugh, she should have been more prepared, but I also had this like just deep secondhand embarrassment for her because I cannot imagine how she must have felt in that room after that. Um, but I did comment on that on Twitter because one time, and this wasn't during an interview in my defense, so there was no prep I could have done. Um, I was at BP during an Arizona Diamondbacks game, and there was a guy standing there. They told me he was on American Idol or something, so I was, like, chatting with him, and I asked him if he watches a lot of baseball. And he laughed, and he said, well, I listened to it. And then he looked at me, and it occurred to me that the man was blind. So I was super embarrassed, and I still remember this. This was 10 years ago. Um, super embarrassed, so I get how she feels, but I feel like hers might have been a little worse because she should have been prepared for that. You know, I did the same thing at Maryland. They, they, I was doing a Maryland-Indiana game on ESPN, and they had me go up in the student section and question students, right? 
and it was dark up there, so I couldn't really see, but I asked the guy, I go, hey, man, uh, how long did you wait in line outside, you know, to get in here? He goes, I go, you know, with a student ticket. He goes, hey, Dan, a guy knew me from T. He goes, hey, Dan, I'm 30 years old, man. I, I, I just walked right in. I'm like, okay, all right, here we go. Let's move on to the next. Like, all right, what's going on here? A whole conference is going DEI. I, here's, what, here's what was remarkable about your deal. I thought that DEI maybe was lessening a little bit. I thought that maybe people were coming off this a little bit. But the Centennial Conference is saying, nay, nay, Nanook. No, no, no. We're all about this. We're keep going. Let's go. What's going on here? Yeah, not only are they all about it, they said they want to be a leader in the industry in it. So they want to... They want to inspire other people to go this direction as well. But the Centennial Conference has adopted this new three-year strategy where they're going to implement DEI across the board. That includes in the recruitment of their student athletes. So now you might not make the team based on your athletic prowess, but rather your skin color or your sexual orientation and things like that. So it's definitely getting weird out there because we've seen DEI in corporate America, in education, um, in Disney movies. Um, and we've seen how that's played out. But sports has kind of been this last beacon of meritocracy, right? So like sports is the one thing that hasn't gone DEI because these teams, they want to bring in the best talent. They don't want to lose and they don't want to lose money, more importantly. So Centennial Conference going the way of DEI is a really interesting shift. I don't know if that could possibly trickle into D2 and D1 athletics where NIL and scholarships play a role. But uh, it was definitely a huge story this week just for that reason, because it's so novel. Is, is, is I always think this. I always think when anything happens with college sports, I always think who wins the lawsuit? That's what I always think. Because eventually I feel like there's going to be a lawsuit here. Are they opening themselves up? I'm sure very smart people are looking at the policy. I'm sure very smart people are setting it. But who would win a lawsuit here if I, if I didn't get into school and I could verify it or I didn't get on the team? I mean, who are they opening themselves up here? Maybe. Um, I think it's a little it's a little different and there's more gray area in D3 because there's not money involved, or at least there's not as much money as far as the players go. Um, they, they cannot award scholarships in D3. Um, and then they also don't have the big TV deals and the NIL deals and things like that. So I think it might be a little different on that, but they brought in a whole consulting firm that specializes in DEI. So somebody's getting paid a lot of money for this. But to me, it's also insulting, right? Not only in sports, but in all aspects of DEI to suggest that if you're a woman or if you're a minority, then you just you can't get the job on your own, that you need these DEI practices because you can't do it on your own merit. And to me, that's that's more racist and sexist than anything. Right. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, you know, it's like, I guess maybe people feel like, yeah, I don't care. I just want the job. I, but ultimately, you don't feel that way. Ultimately, when you get into a job, um, so there's, there's two elements here. Okay. We're going to hire you. And then how does it, can you fire somebody if you hire them based on DEI? Meaning we just hired you because you're an ugly white guy. Uh, you're not competent enough. So you're going to fire me because you knew I wasn't competent enough. 
but you hired me anyway? I don't know. There's two elements there. Yeah. And I mean, there might be a shield there. We saw that with we saw that with Harvard and the president at Harvard. She eventually kind of got forced out. But I mean, she was protected by her identity, essentially. And they went so far as to defend her plagiarism as the president of an Ivy League university just because of of her diversity. You know, like the the UPenn president was out, but she was a white lady. Um, but yeah, so like I didn't what can you do when you've when you've reached that position because of your identity? Are you just forever shielded by your identity? That's a that's a great question. And it'd be interesting to see how that would play out with these this centennial conference. And they are one thing that was specifically mentioned in the policy is that they are going to be giving the member schools, there's 11 member schools, they're going to be giving them a report card based on their diversity score. So how they do in compliance with these policies, which implies that there's going to be some sort of consequences if they don't hire and if they don't recruit for diversity and inclusion. Yeah, I got divorced, and one of the reasons I got divorced, it's not, but I always joke about it, is because I used to tell my kids, what do you hear when you hear mommy talk? Blah, 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 right? I mean, that's okay. That's what I, <laughs> that's what I hear when I hear report cards. When I hear report cards going to schools, I'm like, all I hear is blah, 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 blah. Like, what are you going to do, kick them out of the league? What, 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 you're like, uh, what? What? But, but, but schools must be agreeing with this, right? Because you just don't put something into a conference without the membership saying, all right. Yeah, I mean, you would think so. I, I don't know exactly how it went as far as meeting with the member schools, but I'm sure they're on board, even if they just pretend to be on board because they have to be. You know, it's not it's not popular to stand up and say, hey, um, I actually don't think we should do this whole DEI thing. Um, but I mean, you look at something like a couple weeks ago, Johns Hopkins University, which is a member school of the Centennial Conference, started this diversity digest newsletter that they sent out to staff. And in the very first edition of this newsletter, it was all about privilege. That was the diversity word of the month, privilege. And it listed all the people who have privilege, whether they realize it or not. And Dan, it was it was everybody. I mean, I don't know how you could possibly not be in this list. It was white people, it was heterosexuals, it was cisgender people, Christians, middle-aged people, people who speak English. Like at this point, if we're all if we're all privileged, then no one's really privileged, right? Just like if everyone's a victim, then no one's a victim. Yeah, I read that and I'm like, okay, that's me. That's me. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. I that's that's me too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I it's it I, I think one of them in there, and I'm, I'm sure I have this mixed up because I read so much stupid stuff every day, but I think one of them in there was like if, you, um, if you've been injured or need doctor's care or something like that, you're privileged. I could be wrong about that, but that's off the top of my head. I, I think I saw that in there, but I could be wrong. I could be. Yeah, I'm, I, I can't remember if that was in there. It might have been if you have access to doctor's care, um, which is a lot of people. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's that list was really something. And Dan, I think you check almost all of those. So you might be the most privileged person. So I hope you recognize your privilege. I, I do. And I and I tell people like, I, you know, my parents were school teachers in Gary, Indiana. OK, and but I've had to go around looking like this. That's no privilege. This is no privilege. This is this is 
you know, it's not an honor and a privilege to walk around with this face. It's, 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 it's a, I got to ask you the most important stuff because I promised my daughter I would do this. My daughter who's, uh, lives in Nashville. She's a teacher in Nashville. She's all in on Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, and she thinks it's ridiculous that people are mad at Taylor Swift for doing that dance where they were going side by side. And I'm with her on it. Where are you at with this whole Taylor Swift thing? Now Tony Dungy and somebody else, oh, she's ruining football. I, I don't get how she's ruining football, but where are you at? I'm with you. And this is coming from someone, I'm not a Swifty at all. I, I, I think, I, I know some of her earlier stuff back when she was on country radio, but I'm, I'm completely lost on the new stuff. Um, but I blame Taylor Swift for going to support her boyfriend. It's not her fault that the cameras and the media and everyone are so obsessed with her, right? She's she's obviously a huge pop star. She knows that the, the media attention is coming, but she's just there to support, support her boyfriend. And I mean, I don't know what that dance thing was. I don't know if I'm not cool enough to know what that is, uh, no. but I, I don't think you could really blame her for it. She's just there having fun, just like any of us would, right? But I think it's this the Gosh. NFL trying to bridge that gap for the younger people who maybe aren't as interested in sports now. Um, they're trying to kind of bridge that gap between the entertainment culture side of things and the sport. But I think there's a lot of old men yelling at clouds about it. It's really not that big of a deal. Yeah, and to my, my word to old men is this. Amber, next time you're at, like, I don't know, Luke Bryan's or, or Kid Rock's place, and a Shania Twain song comes on that's, that goes like, man, I feel like a woman. Watch how many dudes are yelling and shoulding up here. I mean, it's unbelievable. I sat there, and I'm doing it too, and my daughter and my wife are like, what are you doing? I go, I don't know, but it's great. I'm in. You just get, you just get caught up. Yeah, you can't hear Shania Twain, especially that old school Shania Twain, and not dance and sing. So yeah. no, one, no one is impervious to that. No, and I, why are we so against fun? What, 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 what does the NFL have to have? I, what, 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 what do old guys have to have in the NFL? They got to have everybody sitting there like this, cold and all intense. I mean, she. I, but by the way, I, I now I'll, I'm sorry to bring you into this, but I promised my wife or my 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 daughter. But I, to me, let me ask you a question. I'm following this now because of her. She doesn't seem like she seems kind of like a like a nice lady. She doesn't seem like a pain in the ass, doesn't seem like a diva, seems like a nice lady. Yeah, I actually, I don't find her annoying at all. Um, I like she. I feel like she kind of minds her own business, as at least as much as a, as a gigantic pop star can. I mean, I know she's gotten political a few times, but I mean, who cares, right? We all, we're all entitled to our opinions and to our free speech, so that's okay. But I right. actually don't find her annoying. I find Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes to be way more annoying in all of their State Farm commercials because I can't turn on my TV without seeing them. So I find them way more annoying than Taylor Swift just sitting in, sitting in a suite. I agree. I, I, I think the Kelsey's, I tried to watch that quarterback show that Kelsey's on, and he, he says me, I, I, me, I, 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 too, too many times. But So let me, let me go to this, and then I'll let you go. On a scale from nobody really to, yeah, everybody, where are you at in the people annoy me scale from, yeah, not, not, not it's a, yeah, everybody. Where, where are you at in that? Where are you at in that? I 
no, I'm going middle of the road. I feel like I, I like to be logical about those sort of things. That's why I haven't just gone full rage over all of the Taylor Swift media coverage. But at, at some point, enough is enough. And I think that's how I feel about the Kansas City Chiefs and all of their commercials. So, um, but I'm also that person that tends to like, if something's super popular, um, it happened when, you know, with TV shows and stuff, when if somebody, if people can't stop talking about it, then I tend to like have this negative idea of it. Like I'm, it, they've hyped it up so much, I'm probably gonna hate it. So I'm kind of a hater in that way. But as far as the Taylor Swift go thing goes, I think power to you, girl. Go to your football games. Yeah, I'm, I'm more annoyed. My wife pointed out to me that like 75% of ads now are, uh, are prescription drugs. That's gotten to annoy me. I don't even know why. It's like, just stop with the drugs. Stop with the, the dancing on some freaking blood pressure medicine. I, I don't know. Come on. Yeah, it's, that, it's that diabetes medicine commercial, and I'm not going to name it because I'm not giving them any more coverage than they already have, but I know exactly which one you're talking about. It's that lady, and she breaks into this whole musical number. She's dancing on top of the fountain, yeah. and it's it's actually really disturbing how much of our advertising is pharmaceuticals. And then they read the long list of the possible side effects at the end, <laughs> and there are all these horrible things that are way worse than the actual, the initial ailment. So, yeah, I'm totally with you on that. Yeah, man. I, I always wait for those. I always wait. And I, I actually listen to them. And you're right. There's like one of them that has a flesh eating thing up on it. And I've always been scared of the flesh eating stuff. That's where I draw the line. Amber, thanks. Thanks for coming on. A lot of fun. Thank you. Anytime, Dan. Thank you. Yeah, look, I got to ask everybody. I'm into this Taylor Swift thing. I am. I should not bother nobody. She's just having fun. I don't know. I mean, everybody gets so mad and everybody's so, uh, this is why I hate uh, Taylor Swift. That's why I like Taylor Swift. I like when our stars, whether they're pop stars, sports stars, movie stars, whatever, show who they really are. I like it when they show and they're really nice people. I think that's much better. But I like it when they show us who they really are. I think that's better. I think that's a better way to go about the business of being us. I mean, a lot of times you can't do it. A lot of times someone like Taylor Swift, I mean, can you imagine if Taylor Swift just went to go get something to eat or went to the mall or went here, went there? I mean, it's crazy. Uh, before we go on the hour break, our thoughts continue with Jimmy Ursay. If something comes up, uh, we will discuss it with Jan here, but this has been going on basically for a month now. Uh, Jimmy Ursay, back in December, found unresponsive. He was skin was blue, four o'clock in the morning in his mansion, in his bathroom of his mansion, over here in Carmel. Carmel, for those of you that understand, Indy's right here. There's a bypass around Indy. Carmel's kind of just north, right in the center of Indianapolis, one of the, I think it's voted one of the five best cities in the country. It's an unbelievable place, and he's got a nice spread there. Uh, but he was found unresponsive. Narcan woke him up, got him going again. Uh, they're saying it's overdose, overdose slash poisoning, and it's just not good. It's just, it's just terrible. Uh, Clay Harbor is going to join us. We're going to talk a lot of football when we come back. I like talking to Clay. I like talking to guys that did it, guys that were in the trenches. Guys that were battling. Let's have a day, people. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. 
We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Yeah, I know a lot of you guys are on my ass because Indiana lost to Purdue last night at Assembly Hall. All right. All right. We stinks right now. I don't like it when we stinks. You know, hey, uh, Clay Harbor joins us. Man, I got the text started early and often yesterday. Former Purdue players that I played against 100 years ago. Uh, former Indiana players bitching about Indiana. I mean, it's... It is what it is, brother, when you get your ass beat. How are you, Clay? You know, I wish I could say I was better, Dan, but, you know, the team that drafted me, the Philadelphia Eagles, team I played for for four years, just did something like your team did. They they embarrassed you, and it was tough to watch, and there's a lot to be said and a lot to be done for this organization. But besides that, I'm good, but I'm still a little bit disappointed in how the Eagles handled this playoff game. All right, tell me what you – I'm going to tell you what I saw, and then I'm going to let you go with it, talking about the Eagles. I I didn't buy into the Sirianni's got to go, blah, 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 until I watched about the first 10 minutes of the game, Clay, and then I went, holy hell, they're not tackling nobody. I'll never – I will never say that pro football players don't try or are soft. I'll never – I'll never say that. But to the pro football player level, that was as soft a team as I have seen. And that started from the get-go, Clay. What did you see? They should be on an ad for Charmin toilet paper ultra soft. I mean, it was just, like you said, soft. And, Dan, if you're, you're, you're a hooper, you're a basketball player, if you don't ever practice shooting, if you don't ever practice free throws, are you going to be a good free throw shooting team player? No. 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 Nick Sirianni – Never practiced tackling. I went to training camp. He took care of his players. They never went live. It was an ultra soft. He had veteran players. I get it. But it was an ultra soft camp. He doesn't do tackling drills. You don't practice the fundamentals. You're not going to be good at them. So firstly, one of the main reasons I think that Sirianni's at fault, you're not going to be a good tackling team if you don't practice tackling. And obviously at the NFL, people think, no, you got to stay up on your fundamentals. You talk about you're a basketball guy. You think LeBron isn't shooting free throws? You think you you think Chris Paul isn't practicing his handles? His, no, you got to stay up on the fundamentals. Tackling's fundamental and the Eagles didn't practice it. But Clay, it seemed like there was a bigger issue here. It, it, you know, they kept I don't know. It seemed like do you think I, – I, I never know what the word lost the locker room means. I, I don't know what the hell that means. I mean, it can mean whatever you want it to mean. But something went on here. People are yelling at, at Hertz. I, what, what, do you, what did you see with all that? Yeah, well, Hertz definitely regressed. Uh, this year he was 22nd EPA versus the Blitz, and, and the Bucks generated 10 unblocked pressures in that game versus the Eagles. If you don't know what that means, that means that – Nobody blocked the blitzer, right? And that tied for the most in any game in this NFL season. Ten unblocked pressures. What that tells me is Jalen Hurts is not getting his team in the correct protection. 
And even if the centers, I know Jalen or Jason Kelsey sometimes can call the protection, but the quarterback also has always has the final say. To me, Jalen Hurts just didn't get his team in the right protection. You're giving up that many unblocked protections. That's not your offensive line. That's on you. You got the ability to call a hot route, even if your offensive coordinator isn't doing a good job, which I don't think he was. You still have the opportunity to override that and get your team in a better play, a better route, a better protection. And Jalen Hurts couldn't do that. Is why couldn't he? Is that new? Had he been doing that last year and earlier this year? Yeah, the frustrating part, Dan, is the last uh, three weeks. You played Giants, Cardinals, Giants, right? You had Wink Martindale's defense. If you're familiar with the with the Giants, Wink Martindale is a big blitzer. He runs a very very similar scheme as Todd Bowles as far as blitzing. He blitzed the Eagles over 50% of the time. Todd Bowles splits Eagles over 50% of the time. Okay, in the NFL, when you go play against a team and you struggle against them, like they struggled against Wink Martindale and the Giants team that beat them the last week of the season when they were trying to win. The first thing you do when you get into that meeting room the next day in practice is you got these big projectors, these big projectors. An offensive coordinator sits up there with a clicker and he points out exactly what you did wrong against the Blitz. And here's how we're going to fix it. This isn't happening again. This is what we're going to do to get better. To my surprise, the Buccaneers come out blitzing. Not to my, That's not to my surprise, but to my surprise, the Eagles have no answer for the blitz. I don't know if that's because Jalen Hurts can't comprehend the protections. I don't know if that's the offensive coordinator just doesn't know. He's just getting out coached by Todd Bowles, obviously a great, great defensive coach. But you can't let the blitz affect you like that. You were 0-9 on third down. 0-2 on fourth down. 0-11 total. That's the first time that's ever happened in a playoff game since 1991, <laughs> Dan. I was four years old. You've got to be able to handle the blitz. You've got to be able to handle blitz on third down. And they couldn't do it. Let me go the other way. Like, I... I thought Baker Mayfield and, and the Bucks were pretty good. I mean, other than they can't catch a ball at least to start the game, and then they started to. What, what do you see the difference? Why, why is Baker Mayfield clicking with Todd Bowles in this thing? What, what's going on here? Well, you know, I watched some film of the week before against the Carolina Panthers, and Baker Mayfield didn't look like the Baker Mayfield we saw against the Philadelphia right. Eagles. Right. Okay. He was horrible. Okay, against the, oh, awful defense. Against the Eagles – the, the Bucks had 219 yards after catch for Baker Mayfield. It's a solid day for a quarterback if he just throws for 219 yeah. yards total. He had 219 yards after the catch. The Eagles had 13 <laughs> documented missed tackles. That's not counting the tackles that, that aren't on tape, but 13 missed tackles, one of the highest levels this entire season. So to me, yes, Baker played a solid game. He handled the game plan. He did have some drops. Mike Evans, Kate Otten did drop the football. But this Eagles defense was terrible. They didn't show up. Their linebackers were bad. James Bradbury looks like he needs to hang up the cleats. Horrible move by Howie bringing him back and signing him to a three-year, $38 million contract. When you wet, let your stud middle linebacker, TJ Edwards, go to Chicago for a three-year, $19 million contract, who's obviously way more important than Bradbury was. 
Uh, Lewis Riddick and others, because, well, a lot of places are doing this. You only got one chance to hire Belichick. He's blaming Sirianni. I mean, what do you, what, well, let me ask, what do you think is going to happen here with Sirianni? I know for sure that the coordinators are gone. And it's funny because Brian Johnson could either get a head coaching job or he could get fired. And I don't think I've ever experienced that before. So I'm like, there, there are people interviewing for a head coaching job and he didn't even perform down the stretch. So I don't know what's going to happen for him, but I just don't think he's going to be full of Eagle next year. Matt Patricia, he, you can't get him out the door. You should have fired him yesterday. I'm sorry. The guy was lucky to hitch his wagons to Bill Belichick for as long as he did. One of the best defensive minds in the NFL, NFL history, obviously, with, with all the success he's had. He's gone, and I think Sean Desai is gone, too. The, the, these guys couldn't perform. So there's going to be meetings today. Nick Sirianni's meeting with Jeffrey Lurie. What he's going to do, he's going to say, hey, you know, I, I take full responsibility for making the change at defensive coordinator for the staff I put together, but I have these guys in mind. And if you give me the opportunity, I will turn this thing around and we will start back like we did at the beginning of the season. He's going to have the exit meetings today, talking to players. He's okay, here's my plan with the roster. Him and Howie will talk. Him and Lori will talk. And they'll come up with a plan. And after talking throughout this day, I think that's when Lori is going to have his answer. When he hears what Sirianni has to say, What's his plan to turn this thing around? You lost six of your last seven, embarrassingly, to the Bucks, to the Cardinals, to the Giants. This is this was not good. So they're going to come up with a plan, and if Lori likes it, I think Sirianni will get another chance and, and grab some new generals, new offensive, defensive coordinator. But if he doesn't, I think there are some good candidates out there. Vrabel is a, is a guy. Mike Vrabel is a guy. I don't see him bringing Lori bringing uh, Bill Belichick on. There is – Open tension between those two since ever since the Spygate back in the day. Belichick filming the Eagles at practice. I think it was like 2007. Lurie openly. I remember him talking about how he didn't like the Patriots. To me, back when I was playing on the team, I don't think Belichick to the Eagles happens. I think every I think every place though is saying that like, hey, this is the only chance you got, so you gotta. Look at all right. I want to go to C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud is not making this look uh, not making this look difficult at all. C.J. Stroud just shows up and like he's playing in a freaking park, man. How? What? What are your thoughts? Can they go in and beat the uh, Ravens? You know, I think he can, and I think he can, and I, I think if if. He does. That's a bad. That's a bad deal for Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson in the playoff has a 68 rating. He is one in three. If he gets the MVP this year and loses to a rookie in C.J. Stroud, that tarnishes tarnishes his legacy. That goes to show you this guy can't win the big game, even more so than Dak Prescott. So this is a huge game. There's actually a lot of pressure on the Ravens. And how often in the middle of the season do you get not one, but two weeks off to rest? Okay, you're used to a bye week here and there, but this guy got two weeks off to rest because the, the, the Ravens had clinched. So to me, you could come out a bit rusty. The Texans are firing at all cylinders. They just abused that Cleveland Browns defense. Old Joe Flacco had a walker out in the field, still trying to play quarterback, but C.J. Stroud looked great. I think they can pull the upset, and I think, you know, looking back at the draft, obviously this is a different, different uh, storyline here, but... 
I think that maybe the Bears did miss my Chicago Bears by not drafting C.J. Stroud. I know they changed, traded down, but one thing nobody realizes is you had the opportunity to draft C.J. Stroud just as much as you did Bryce Young. This is the best rookie quarterback I think I've ever seen. So for some reason, the storyline that people have missed on C.J. Stroud, Chicago Bears, I like Justin Fields, but he is not C.J. Stroud. For some reason, that storyline hasn't picked up. You had every opportunity to draft C.J. Stroud. You missed on him. So to me, for the Bears, that also looms when you start making this decision this year as opposed to Fields versus Caleb Williams. I got to tell you, man, you know, Mahomes back in the day when Deshaun, the list of quarterbacks the Bears passed on is pretty impressive. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> okay, I mean, you, you bring in uh, Foles. I'm sorry, I love Foles. was my guy, but just couldn't get the job done. Andy Dalton. I mean, there was just a list. I mean, I could go on for, for hours about the quarterback situation. And Fields has had 38 hey. starts. 38. Speaking, speaking, hey, as a a Bears guy, Jordan Love is pretty freaking good, brother. Jordan Love, I don't know, man. He's pretty damn good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he is. He honestly looks better than Aaron Rodgers did at this point, and Aaron Rodgers did last year, and that's another reason where I've always been a guy that I think you got to stick with fields. But in this division now, you're seeing how – Jared Goff is playing. You're seeing what what Jordan Love is, and I really thought that last game of the year was a playoff game for the Bears and the Packers. The Bears wanted to beat the Packers, so then that was their season. And Jordan Love just completely outplayed Justin Fields. Obviously, offensive play calling wasn't great. Luke Getzey's getting fired, but you look at the system, you look at the team that C.J. Stroud came into. He didn't have no superstars. He didn't have a good offensive line. The Texans were the worst team in the year last year, in the league last year. He was able to make his team better. He made everybody better. Tank Dell was a third, fourth round pick. Nico Collins never had the, year, the years he had. He made everybody in that team better, and that's what I think the Bears need to do as an organizational standpoint when it comes to quarterback. I don't know if it's Caleb. Obviously, I don't like the way he handles himself off, off field on, on a lot of situations. I don't know if it's Drake May, but you at least got to be open to the opportunity to drafting a quarterback because, like you said, you're going to be playing against Jordan Love for probably the next 10 to 12 years, the way this guy's looking. You mentioned golf. I, I thought golf was terrific too. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I used to, I played with a lot of teams, Dan. I played with the Detroit Lions the last time. Yeah. The last time they played a playoff game in Detroit, we played against the Seattle Seahawks. We lost back in 2016 before Sunday. That was the last playoff game. The Lions ever played in. We lost, unfortunately, First time they got back, they handled business. Very impressed with everything they've been able to do. I mean, this team's this team's legit, and obviously doing against Matt Stafford, who was my quarterback back in that game when we played in the playoffs the last time. So I thought that that was kind of like a battle of the breakup. You know, you want to say who won the breakup, Goff or Stafford? Obviously, Stafford got the Super Bowl ring, but Goff is showing well, maybe he won this breakup instead. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's every time you have something like that, you got to compare, right? I mean, it's, I said this all the time. As soon as Brady and Belichick broke up, you're going to talk about who, who, who did what. I mean, it's, it's literally that easy. All right, is this put-up-or-shut-up time for Josh Allen and the Bills? 
I think it's a, it's a big game for both of them. But, yeah, I think it's a little bit bigger for Josh Allen because if he can't beat Patrick Mahomes again, you know, Pat has his ring. This is a huge game, man. This is like Brady Manning all over again. Huge game. And this is in Buffalo. Okay, so now now Josh Allen's in Buffalo. Obviously, last year they felt like they should have won that game. I felt like they should have won that game. There was some crazy stuff that went on down the stretch. But to be in your house, to have that opportunity, you got to win. You got to do it. You got everything going for you coming off a big win. I mean, you just completely outhandled the Steelers. I mean, the Steelers put up a valiant effort at the end, but – you're too much. So right now, I think Josh Allen will win, and I think he can win. And I don't think the Chiefs are the Chiefs of old this year. I think they're uh, the, you gotta you gotta take them for what they are right now, and that's a team that has average receivers. Rashi Rice had a big game, but I'm, he's not a guy I trust. Travis Kelsey's been dropping passes all year. I don't know if his his mind is on Pfizer or uh, Taylor Swift or whatever's going on with Kelsey, greatest tight end in, in the league, but. He's dropping passes right now. He's not the same guy. The running game isn't what it was. Love Andy Reid. Once again, the coach that drafted me think he's an excellent offensive mind, but this team isn't the same team, and I think the Bills will win this week in Buffalo. Did they make the right choice? I, I, I saw you're, you're a football guy. I mean, I saw the weather on Sunday, and they moved the game to Monday. Did they make the right move doing moving games like that? Did they, did they do the right thing? Yeah. I think both teams, you talked to both teams, none of them wanted to play in that. I had, a game, I had a Monday night game move to a Tuesday night game before because of a blizzard in Philadelphia. I think neither team was upset about the game being moved at the time, but the only thing now is what it does is it just gives, in, not Indianapolis, it just gives Kansas City an extra day on Buffalo, right? So now they got an extra day. Yeah. Their practice schedule's thrown off, Dan. You know how these football players are. We're creatures of habit and routine. You go in. Typically, you play every Sunday. You're all, you, you go in, you watch the film on Monday. On Tuesday, on Tuesday, you start, you, you have your off day. Wednesday, you practice. You put in your base package, your base offense, your base defense. Thursday, you put in your third down, your blitz package. Obviously, I don't think the Eagles did that last week. And Friday, you put in your red zone offense and defense. Saturday, you review. And then Sunday, you play. Now you're moving everything up. There's no off day. You know, you, you don't have the, the, the film study from last week, and everything's just kind of jumbled up. And for me, I always felt like it threw me off of my routine. Obviously, the pros know how to handle that, and they come up with a good plan, but it is just something else they have to worry about from moving that game from Sunday to Monday. All right, before I let you go, quick answer, yes or no, Mike McCarthy, coach of the Cowboys, start the season next year? No. I don't think so. I think uh, Jerry Jones is a guy that likes to make big moves, and I think he's going to make a big one and bring someone else in to coach this team. Is that big one Belichick? I think it can be, but Belichick's like like Bill Parcells used to say. If he's going to cook the meal, he likes to get his groceries too, and Jerry Jones is going to have to to relinquish a little bit of power if he wants Bill to come to, 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 to uh, Dallas there. So, We'll see. I think that could be a good match. They're both older. They both want to win right now. So I think it would be a good match. But Jerry's going to have to let go of some of his power. Nick Sirianni, head coach, opening day, Philadelphia Eagles. Yes, I think he will be. I'm not saying it's the right decision. You'll have a whole new staff around him, but I think Sirianni keeps his gig. 
Will Mike Vrabel and Bill Belichick be head coaches in the NFL opening day this year? Oh, absolutely. Mike Vrabel, to me, I think that was a mistake by the Titans letting him go. I love his form of bully ball. He's an old school coach. He likes the physicality stuff. Wasn't his fault they traded away AJ Brown and 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 all the things they did to that organization, getting rid of Kevin Byard. So I think Vrabel deserves another chance and will have another chance. All right, there he is, Clay Harbor. Thank you, my friend. Thanks. Appreciate it, Dan. Good being with you today. Hey, I love talking to you. Thanks, Clay. That's the great Clay Harbor. I love people that have opinion. And look, former players get pissed about what their team or when their team sucks. And you saw it with Clay. He was clearly frustrated with what was going on here in in Philadelphia. As a former player, you're pissed. Sports makes you lose your ever loving freaking mind. It does. It makes you lose your brain. You win. You're the happiest dude alive. Oh my God. You lose. You're at the depths. And I agree with what Rick Pitino said. Rick Pitino said the other day, it's like dying. He goes, I would, you know, when I lose, I want to die. Just bury me outside. Let me freeze to death. I just want to die. I'm telling, I used to tell people that all the time. Like, look, it's like death to me. It is 1,000% like death. And it is. And I make absolutely no apologies for it. Well, you're a shallow person, yes. Well, there's more to life than winning or losing, yes, I know. Well, it just shows that you're in Yes, right, right. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're absolutely right. Whatever it is, you're absolutely right. Yes. I don't care. I mean, 350 million people in this country, we're all not built alike, nor should we all think alike. We should all, some of you are lovers, some of you are fighters, some of you are doves, some of you are hawks. Some of you could care less about sports. Some of you love it to the point where you're willing to get arrested. Some of you will throw popcorn on a coach like that Eagles fans did. I mean, what are you going to do? It's the way the world works. And it's unbelievable, and it's awesome, and I am here for all of it because, well, as I've always said, I can't tell you a Picasso. Uh, I don't know the history of every rock band. I was too busy going outside and doing stuff as opposed to, hey, man, smoke a doobie. What's, you know, Zeppelin, man. Zeppelin, man, they made this. They made this song, man, in the 70s, man. They were in London. Yeah, man. Ooh, this is some good shit. No, that wasn't me. I was outside playing. Go play. Jeez. You got to go play. It's time to go play. Everybody should be out playing. All right, Lewis Riddick. Uh, we didn't play this audio, I don't think. Here's Lewis Riddick wanting Belichick to replace Nick Sirianni. With that, so you hear... Nick Sirianni say he's not thinking about his job. What do yeah. you say? Yeah, of course he's thinking about it. Because, look, there's going to be a whole lot of things that are going to be reevaluated right now. Yeah. And starting procedurally with what? Look, number one, if you bring Nick Sirianni back, what do you have to do as far as the coaching staff is concerned to make some changes in order for this to get back on the right track? You made changes in the middle of the season when you took Sean Desai out of there. You put Matt Patricia in there. 
you know, there's a lot of talk coming out of there about whether or not Sean Desai could have maybe, you know, made some changes as far as some of the assistance that he was that he wanted to bring in there in terms of like a couple of years from now. Or is Bill Belichick in play? Mm. Is that the kind of guy who needs to be in play here? Because personally, I think it's something that you definitely have to consider. All right, let me check a few things. Hey, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. All right, you know what time it is. Is it Wednesday? Yes. Is it what the hell Wednesday? Yes. Let's go, ladies and gentlemen. Do we have a stinger? Yeah, here we go. There we go. What the hell Wednesday? All right, look, I've collected over 700 tarantulas. It's good for my mental health. That's right. 700 pet tarantulas. Yeah, it's good for your mental health. Now, I don't understand this. Arachnophobe Aaron Phoenix, uh, Aaron Phoenix, who is 36 years old, says he has a collection of more than 700 tarantulas. They call him, wait for it, hold on, a real-life Spider-Man. People always ask if I'm kidding when I tell them how many spiders I have. They ask me if there's something wrong with me. But everyone has a hobby. Everybody likes to do what they like to do. Some people like to go to the gym. I like collecting Tarantulas. He lives with his partner Joe and her two daughters in their a room in their house is des- designated a tarantula cave. Couldn't give you the exact number, but I have more than 700 tarantulas. I don't think there could ever be a limit. As soon as I had one, I knew I wanted more. He had a tarantula as a teenager, but had to give it up. He got into collecting more. He's rescued 120 Spiders. That's right. Male tarantulas live seven years. Females live 25 years. All right. My partner stays out of the tarantula cave. She's just happy that it makes him happy. He spends about 125 bucks a month on cork bark, leaf litter, some other stuff. There you go. I got nothing for it. Hey. 350 million people in the United States. Whatever makes you happy, baby. Whatever floats your damn boat. I can get down with. I can. What do we care? But I can tell you this. One of his tarantulas gets in my house, I'm stepping on it. I am. I'm sorry. I'm stepping on it. Second most venomous snake in the world found in a toddler's underwear drawer. Now, I got to tell you. It doesn't matter if it's the first venomous, the third, the fifth, the eighth. No. No, 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 no. Venomous snake. Australia snake hunter discovered the second most venomous snake in the world. Mark Pelly, Melbourne, was asked to remove a five-foot eastern brown snake from a three-year-old's bedroom. Mum went to get some clothes for her son and found a large five-foot brown snake instead. We figured out what happened. She carried and folded wash yesterday, and as she was taking clothes from the clothesline, the brown snake crawled into it. How do you not notice it? How could you be folding clothes with a five-foot snake amongst them in drawers without realizing it? I mean, a five-foot snake's got to be heavy. They replied, the snake doctor replied, the snakes are lightweight. People tend to be oblivious to them. But I got to tell you, here's a, here's a picture of the snake. You're telling me 
You're telling me you're not knowing that snake's in the wash? Huh. All right. I mean, I got to, whenever I hear snake stories, like right now, there's a table right here. I always think of what's underneath me. What's underneath me always scared me as a kid in my bed. It was there something underneath my bed and going to restaurants. Going to restaurants, you scared the hell out of me what was under. Because then I learned at my favorite pizza place, Miles Pizza in Bowling Green, the walls, they had rats coming out of the walls underneath. I learned that once I was gone. I used to like to go in there. No. And it's tore down, so I'm not talking out of school, but damn. Uh, I spent over $200 a month. $200 to immortalize my dead pet hamster. That's right. 200 bucks because I wanted my dead pet hamster with me forever. Man, come on. When Jess Porter Langston's beloved pet hamster passed away, she knew she had to do something special. I tell you what I do. I take it to the lake right there. Shoop. She shelled out 200 bucks to have her Hamington, the hammy for short, the rodent, had been immobilized as a tiny stripper dancing for cash around a pole. Miniature dollar bills are around her as well. So not only did this lady decide that she was going to immortalize her hamster. She's going to make her hamster a stripper with dollar bills around it. That should cost you more than 200 bucks. I would think, that, you know, all right, here's a picture. This is gross. Look at that. I don't know which one's the hamster. When you look at them, they do kind of look alike. I think anyway. Well, they kind of sort of look alike, don't they? I mean, I guess that's mean to the hamster. By the way, I finished Jack Reacher yesterday. Finished the whole uh, second series. It's all right. Predictable. It's okay. It's not great. I mean, I'll tell you when they're great. Nah, it wasn't great. It was just okay. It was just, it was fine. All right, let's see what else. I'm becoming a grandma at 37. Haters think I'm lying, but I'm proud of my family. 37? When do these people start stooping? People think I'm lying. Why would you lie? A TikTok star, she is set to be welcome her first grandchild at 37 in April. But the haters are refusing to buy the beauty's claim because of her incredibly youthful looks. She racked up 1.3 million views. Y'all keep asking me how I'm going to be a grandma. She explained that her 20-year-old daughter, so she was stooping at 17, is gearing up to welcome her own kid. Makes sense. Makes sense. I'm not mad at you. I got pregnant with Riley at 15. Uh, saying she started dating her daughter's father when he, she was 12. I actually saved my lunch money for the whole week to buy my pregnancy test. All right. She test revealed she was pregnant. Baby Riley was born uh, June 03, seven months after her 16th birthday. Riley became pregnant 20 years later and is going to welcome her first child. And the grandchild will tell her, Mima Misty. All right. Okay. And she's a TikToker. Okay. She, uh, she's married to another man 
who has three younger daughters, 16, 13, and 11, and everybody's happy. Now, I got to tell you, look at this picture. Look at that picture. That's the world's youngest grandma. What do you kids say? I'd hit that. <laughs> that girl looks like she's 15 years old, but she's 37. 37 years old, the grandma. Hey, I'm not, no judgy. No judgy here. 37 years old, a grandma, you do you. Hell, you'll be a great-grandma the way your family goes. At 55, you'll be a great-grandma. You have a long life as me, ma, papa, me, ma, me, ma, butt cheeks. Yeah, hey, it's me, ma, butt cheeks. How you doing, me, ma, butt cheeks? Hey, man, you got to come over and see my grandma. Yeah, it's pretty hot. Just saying. A uh, passenger on a plane pooped his pants during a flight. He smeared it on the seat. And he spread it out like peanut butter. I got to tell you, we should, I know it's Gen X and Melinda. This is like the caca generation. This is like the I'm going to poop generation. (laughs) You cannot swing a dead cat without somebody taking a crap on a plane and not in the bathroom. And not in the bathroom. Even the even the in the article says another day, another accident at thirty thousand feet. This time, a parent claimed that a fellow passenger pooped their pants on a Delta flight Christmas Eve and left the excrement smeared all over the seat. Someone had blanked in their all in their seat. According to the thread, the odiferous act incident occurred. While an anonymous Redditor and their eight-year-old daughter were on a connecting flight, Birmingham to Atlanta, en route to Key West. Shortly after takeout, person noticed a horrific odor wafting throughout the cabin, lending them to believe his kid had taken a dump. About 20 minutes into the flight, I get a terrible smell. I asked my daughter if she had pooped. She denies wrongdoing. And the smell lingers the rest of the flight. It wasn't until they landed that they discovered the appalling source of the stench. While deplaning, they saw a person eight rows in front of them who had pooped all over the seat. So the bottom and the back were completely covered in feces. The person had to sit in their own for at least an hour and departed into the Atlanta airport covered in crap. Now, I got to tell you, that's a bad day. There's nothing I can say other than that's a bad day. That's about as bad a day as you can have. Nonviolent crime division. Not getting your ass beat division. Not having somebody do something crazy to you division. To you personally. You're just sitting there minding your own business on a plane and you got to poop. Tell you what, man, people are awful stanky these days. Awful stankly. Uh, Charles Barkley is not happy, not even a little bit, over the way Thelma Krause, wife of former general manager Jerry Krause, was treated by fans during the Ring of Honor ceremony. Jerry Krause was horrendously, treated horrendously by Michael Jordan during his tenure as a general manager. Jerry Krause helped win six rings with the Chicago Bulls. Jordan didn't like him. 
dumbasses in Chicago aren't going to like him. And Charles Barkley, never one to be overly tolerant about dumbasses, he didn't like the dumbasses. Let's hear from Sir Chuck. I want, I want to be very careful here because, you know, Chicago, I love that city, but what happened in Chicago the other night was a disgrace. It was a flat-out disgrace. The booing of Jerry Krause, the his, late Jerry Krause. The, the booing of his, having that, that, his yeah. wife cry like that, that was wrong on so many levels. Michael and Scotty and Dennis not showing up, that was wrong. It was a complete disgrace to the legacy of the Chicago Bulls. They are a, they've always been a great, great organization. But to, 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 for that thing to go down like that, not to have the greatest player in your organization there and won six championships and Dennis and Scotty and first of all, they, I don't even know why you would put 100 guys in the ring of honor anyway. That's just stupid. But what those fans did to Mrs. Krause, that was not cool. And we... As we, they, they owe that lady, everybody involved that owe that lady an apology. Whether you like Jerry Krause or not, that man's dead. Rest in peace. His wife is there. And y'all made that lady cry, and that was total BS. Wife, kids, grandkids. Yeah. That was wrong, Very man. Good. To have that lady crying like that, that hurt my heart watching that yeah, thing. It was. It was painful. And, and yeah, again, that's not an indictment of all Chicago fans by any means, but those who Boot. chose to yes. go that way. Yeah, I'm with you. And thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, it's not an indictment of all Chicago fans, but it is an indictment of the morons that decided that was a good idea. I wonder what you do. Hey, we're going to Bulls game tonight. Uh, Ring of Honor. Who's going to be there? Ah, Michael Scotty and uh, Dennis, they're not going to be there. Krause's old lady's going to be there. Oh, that's Boer. What? Like, would that even cross your mind? And if it did cross your mind, what a little feeble mind that you had. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Uh, Greg Popovich went on a rant. Greg Popovich went on an annoying, self-appointed rant during a press conference where he claimed being woke isn't bad, it's good, discussing how teaching players lessons in history has become more satisfying than watching what is happening on the court. Let's hear from Pop. You know, these days... Uh... And in, in our situation for a long time, we've gotten a, a lot more satisfaction out of our jobs uh, in San Antonio. And I think that's gone across the league as time has gone on by making sure we're spending time with the players uh, with lessons in history about people, about events, uh, things that have happened. Because I think uh, it's it's been missed to a great degree. I mean, even... Uh, black friends that I know would say, I didn't know such and such until I was 32 years old. Well, it didn't get taught to any of us, black or white, uh, for a very long time. So it's not a surprise, but uh, now that we have this book banning culture uh, rising up, uh, it has to be fought. Because if we don't fight it, if we don't inform, if we don't teach uh, off the court basketball stuff, doesn't mean much, but off the court, uh, it's it's important because they. Yeah, I guess. Uh, but you know, here's the deal: you got to understand this. When you're seven and thirty-two, 
When you're 7-32, and 32, which is what they are with that Victor Wembayama, who's a good player. I mean, has a chance to be a special player, obviously. But when you're 7-32 and 32, and you haven't been any good since your really good players played there, which, hey, look, every coach goes through that. When the really good players are there, you're a good coach. When they're not, you're just another guy. And when you are a, you know, when you're having a 32-7 and seven year, then your words have a tendency to kind of resonate more with us. When you're 7-32, and 32, it's just talking. Look, no, you know, the thing about book banning, and, and again, I, I, I'm fascinated by this. So people want porn in kids' libraries, and I don't understand why. I mean, book banning to me goes both ways. Like, I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't get the whole thing. I'm not smart enough to get the whole thing. Uh, Bronny James, son of LeBron, had a chance to start the other day. It did not go well. He did not score a single point in 25 minutes of action against the University of Colorado. Look, I feel bad for LeBron James's kid for one reason and one reason only. He is being purported to be something he's not. I don't know whether he's an NBA player or not, but people that have seen him way more than I have, including Doug Gottlieb, our friend from our show and his show, will tell you he's not. Never has been. Is only at USC because of his last name. Was only highly recruited because of his last name. I don't know whether that's true or not. I don't. And being LeBron James's kid has certainly given this kid and other kids that he has a great father by all accounts, and it's also given them opportunities that they may have never had, and getting to start at USC is one of them. So we'll see what happens as it moves forward. But, hey, look, not scoring a point in your first start as a, high, a college player, college basketball is hard. College basketball is not easy. There's nothing easy about college basketball. Some guys make it look really easy. I mean, it's not. Some guys make it look really hard. It ain't as hard as uh, a lot of guys make it. But it ain't as easy as a lot of guys make it either. We'll keep our eye on that. Apparently, the New Orleans Saints is going to fire everybody. Apparently, they're just pissed. They're like, hey, look, offensive coordinator Pete Campbell, out. Offensive assistant Bob Bicknell, out. Wide receiver coach Cody Burns, out. Get out. Everybody out. Isn't it amazing? Like, when you look and you think about New Orleans and you think about the Saints, have they ever been any good other than when Drew Brees was there? Here's what's amazing. Isn't it amazing how a good quarterback hides a lot of things? Colts, really good. Really good when Manning was here and healthy. Really good uh, when Luck wanted to actually play his first couple years. Really good. But once Manning left, it turned into 2-14. and 14. Once Grigson and Luck left, it turned into a mess that continues on and on in year eight of a, of a rebuild. It is amazing because the same franchises that suck continue to suck. And I hate to say it, but the Colts are one, except for Manning and a, and a three, maybe four-year run with Andrew Luck. It's fascinating. It really is. And I'm sitting there thinking about the New Orleans Saints, and I'm thinking about Archie Manning. Archie Manning's the greatest player ever. I heard this. I was too young uh, then to see Archie Manning. I don't even remember him in college. I remember him out of college, and everybody talked to this great Archie Manning, and all I would do was see him running for his life, and all I would do is see the New Orleans Saints on Sunday or Monday night football, and the highlights lose. And then they win. Why? Have they ever been in a Super Bowl without Drew Brees? Have they ever? Been any good without Drew Brees? I don't know. 
I don't know, but it, it, this is no surprise. Speaking of quarterbacks, Tua Tungavailoa's brother, Tulia, is headed to the 2024 NFL Draft after he was wavering to get a six-year. It was denied. Originally, he entered the transfer portal in hopes of continuing his college career. Played at Maryland last year. He's a good player. He's a nice player. And I don't know why he would transfer. I guess the open market, you make more money somewhere else. But he was kind of entrenched there at Maryland. But he does. I don't know who gets a six-year waiver and who doesn't. That's something that I've asked and asked and tried to get info. And nobody seems to have a reasoning why some guys are playing in their seventh year. Some guys are trying to get a sixth year. It's crazy. It's crazy to me. All right, Caitlin Clark. Caitlin Clark not only is the best female basketball player, she's also become the only woman sales and marketing, a one-woman sales and marketing juggernaut with tickets featuring Clark going for as much as, listen to this, $1,700 a ticket. Iowa, the national runner-up to LSU last year, sold out every game it has played on the road this year, upping attendance at Opponents Arena by as much as 359%. You read that right. 359%. For instance, Iowa at Wisconsin, attendance 14,252. Normally, the Badgers draw 4,536 fans. And people in Indiana over the weekend were whining, bitching, and moaning and crying at me because I got on them for whining, bitching, moaning, and crying that Fox was putting too much Caitlin Clark in the TV ads. I'm like, wait a second here. Nobody's ever cared about Indiana, bas- or Indiana women's basketball. They, I guess they have the last couple of years. That's fine. But no one gives a rat's. Everybody gives a rat's about Caitlin Clark. I'm telling you, everybody. Whether you dislike her because she's a white girl that got beat by a black girl and the black girl went all ghetto and gave her the face and you're a black woman that doesn't like her because you're white, or whatever, whatever the reason, who cares? Whether you're a white guy in the middle of a cornfield that she's the savior, she's Hosanna, she's Emmanuel, great, whatever. But she appeals to everyone, good or bad, period. You know, like Indiana men yesterday got beat by Purdue, and there's like 15 articles every single time. I look at my phone, it's somebody complaining, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I just got another one, a former Indiana player. Nobody, Indiana basketball, women's lost at Iowa City to Caitlin Clark. Well, that's all right. The ladies played really hard. I'm so proud of them. Really? You lost by 27. Are you nuts? Indiana basketball is a nice little story, and I hope it ends with a national championship. I do. I hope it does. But Caitlin Clark is the story in college basketball. It is. She's the story. Men's, maybe a men's player that you go, man, I got to see that guy play. Maybe Edie. Maybe Xavier Johnson, but not that Xavier Johnson. Xavier Johnson from Southern Illinois is really good. Holy hell. She's the story. Period. That's it. Don't at me. Walk a dope.
Uh, if you or someone you know are affected by a free speech event on campus, call your parents, ask them to come and take you home. You're not ready for university yet. That's at Colorado State. Boy, is that true. I got two things with universities, and that's one of them. A free speech event has you so upset. Here's one thing you can do. Not go. Shocker. <laughs> Here's the other thing. I read all these university presidents saying we need to have a warm, a nurturing environment for our students. It's got to be safe. Really? I kind of thought I went to college. I was in college, man. Indiana University wasn't responsible for me. I didn't need a warm, you know what I needed? I needed three squares in a room. Give me three squares in a, in a, in a, a cot and a blanket. We must have, I think it's imperative for all of us to make sure that it is a warm and nurturing environment here. Screw that. Hey, if you or someone you know is affected by a free speech event on campus, call your parents, ask them to come get you, take you home. You are not ready for university. Boy, is that true. We got to have a nice, warm, we need a nice, warm, nurturing campus. Next! Go home to mommy. <laughs> Look at the angst in this woman. I mean, that thing, you put a hook in that. Look at the mouth on that thing. And good, Trump's just like, go ho, go ho. Ixnay, scram, skedaddle, vamoose, andalay. I may have just swore in seven different languages. I don't know. People are amazing. Next. Stop calling it Yemen. <laughs> it's Yemen, man. When life gives you Yemen, you got to make Yemenade. I've been watching a lot of Veep while I'm recovering all afternoon. As soon as the show's over, I've got to take a shower because I've been sweating. And I spread out over here. I'm not allowed to go anywhere yet. Although tomorrow I do have a doctor's appointment, which I'm very much looking forward to getting out of the house. But I've been watching a lot of Veep. And I got to tell you, yesterday, when life gives you Yemen, you got to make Yemenade. Benetti and I, we got to get Benetti back on. Benetti and I go back and forth with Veep clips. Veep clips are awesome. <laughs> and when, when Louisa Dreyfus says the word snatch, I just laugh. I'm sorry. Spielberg, watch Veep. If you got a few minutes, if you got a couple hours, just, but you got to pay attention to Veep. Because if you watch Veep, nobody in the history of women has ever swore on television better than Julia Louis Dreyfus, a.k.a. Elaine from Seinfeld. She's the Veep. And when she gets swearing, man, it is on like Donkey Kong. <laughs> it is gross. We got a next or is that it? I think that covers us for woking and uh, doping. Hey, look, before I let you go, Indiana, 
Do yourself a favor, Indiana. You should be all over the athletic director, who I really like, Scott Dolson. You should be all over Mike Woodson. Did you know that Mike Woodson, after having team quit in the NCAA tournament the last two years, got a million-dollar-a-year raise after last year? He finished ninth and third in the league. And now, I, I don't know if you have a mess. Maybe the team can still be good. They seem like they got adults. Oh, no, they don't have adults. It seems like they have athletes. But honest to God, two things. One, Indiana men's basketball, you got to get your shit, you got to get your shit together. You got to get your act together. I mean, you're embarrassing all of us that came ahead of you. I don't want to hear about your NIL money. You all don't deserve any NIL money. Come to Anthony Leal, the Leal deal at Mother Bears, and then all of a sudden Anthony Leal's out against Purdue. Nobody's ever out against Purdue. You're not out against Purdue. You have a broken leg and you're in against Purdue. What the hell are we talking about? Jeez. Second thing, don't ever compare the Indiana women's program to the Indiana men's program. You embarrass yourself. Indiana women's a nice little story, and I hope it ends in a national championship. But my God. My God, man. My God, man. It's a nice story. She got beat by 30 at Iowa, and all anybody said was, oh, the little ladies played really hard and really well. Get out of here with that. Men lose, and it's DEFCON 1. It's like batting down the hatches. We got, a, we, got, we got shrapnel coming. We got a storm coming. Do that. All right, everybody. Thanks for being here. Aaron, Aaron, who else was on today? Our Nick, Nick. Brooke was on here. Who the hell else is on here today? Who's working today? Dylan? Who else? I know Brooke's on here. Who am I missing? Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Gary. I'm going to go recoup. I'm going to go sweat over here. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you tomorrow.